Well, since it's the 4th of July, I believe that God has led me to take us on a one-week detour from the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 22 and Philippians chapter 3. We're going to get back into the book of Ecclesiastes next Sunday morning. This past election cycle and really ever since, I've heard this term that I'd never really heard before. And the term is Christian nationalism. But the problem is, is that that word, that phrase, Christian nationalism, means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And, and most of the things that I read about Christian nationalism are negative. For instance, this past week I, I read an article in Time that the title was The Growing Anti-Democratic Threat of Christian Nationalism in the U.S. A USA Today opinion piece said Christian nationalism is a threat then it goes on to say this, Christian nationalists inside our government are working quietly to take America for Jesus. They are the more resilient danger to religious pluralism. In their book, Taking America Back for God, Christian Nationalism in the United States, authors Andrew Whitehead and Samuel Perry say that Christian nationalism bears little resemblance to Christianity. Even Christianity Today has an article about it. And that article says Christian nationalism takes the name of Christ and uses it for worldly political gain. A young man I pastored in Orlando, he literally grew up under my ministry for eight years in Orlando, posted a video this past week on social media, a video that came from the Gospel Coalition. It was a video by Michael Horton, and Michael Horton said this. He says, the problem of Christian nationalism is not that some Christians are taking a biblical idea too seriously, but they are confusing America with Israel under the old covenant. From a biblical perspective, it's actually heretical. It confuses the law with the gospel. A young Southern Baptist who was very outspoken at our annual meeting back in June posted something on Twitter about two weeks ago criticizing another church for having a patriotic service. He said this is an example of Christian nationalism. But again, the question that I think we need to ask and the question we need to answer is what is Christian nationalism? Nationalism. If Christian nationalism is saying that America is the new Israel, then that's wrong. There is nothing in the Bible to support that. There is nothing in the Bible to substantiate that. But the problem is most people that use that term, they're not using it to describe a person that believes that. You see, most people would say, that you're a, if you're a Christian and you believe that America was founded upon Christian values and Christian truths, then you would be a Christian nationalist because they say that's not true. Or if you're a Christian and you believe that we need to return our nation to Christian values, that those values should be what guide and govern our land, then certainly you're a Christian nationalist. And some would even go further than that. They would say that if you're a Christian and you believe in a secure border, even if you believe in a very generous and gracious legal immigration policy, then you're a Christian nationalist. 
And there will be others that would say, if you're a Christian and, and you support voter ID laws, then that shows that you are a Christian nationalist. Almost everything that I've read says that if you, as a Christian, believe that America needs to be a Christian nation, then you're a Christian nationalist. But here's the thing that you need to understand. There are really only two choices. We are a Christian nation, which means that we are seeking to win everybody to Jesus, everybody for Christ, and we believe that we should be governed and guided by Christian principles and, and Christian truth, or we're a secular nation. And a secular nation would say that we are guided and we are governed by secular truth. And in the words of our president, I would say, come on, man, which one of those is the best for us today? Do we want to be a Christian nation governed by Christian principles, or do we want to be a secular nation governed by secular principles? Here's the problem. We have become so polarized as a people today that we label someone immediately without talking to them. We would rather shut someone up than have a conversation with them and hear them out. We want to shame people into silence or lead them to believe that they cannot speak up in the public square. And there are many that, that believe that as a church, we certainly don't have the right to speak up on political issues, even if the Bible speaks on those issues. But listen, if we as Christ followers believe that the Bible should guide and direct everything we do, then shouldn't we express what the Bible says on the issues of our day unless it tells us not to? I mean, isn't that what the prophets of old did in the Old Testament? Didn't they confront not only the culture of their day, didn't they confront the government of their day when they felt like the government was going against God? And so if the prophets of old did that, shouldn't we do that today? What are we to do as Christians in America? Do we get involved in the process? Do we take stands? Do we allow our voice to be heard? Or do we remain silent and focus simply on sharing the gospel? After all, each and every one of us who are Christ followers would say that the gospel is our ultimate hope, right? We would say that the gospel is the only thing that can change a human heart. And that is absolutely true. The gospel is our only hope. And the gospel is the only thing that can change a human heart. And so, do we let the politicians do their thing? Do we allow the activists to influence the moral laws and direction of our nation while we remain quiet and focus solely and completely on sharing the gospel? Or are we called to do both? Are we called to take a stand on the issues of our day while realizing that our ultimate hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we share it all the time. In other words, are we called to be citizens of heaven or are we called to be citizens of America? 
Is there anything wrong with loving America and being patriotic and yet at the same time recognizing that our first loyalty, our first allegiance is to our Lord? I mean, we love our spouse and the Lord, don't we? We love our kids and the Lord, don't we? So is there really anything wrong with loving our country and the Lord? I want us to look at the two passages I gave you to look up. The first one is in the book of Acts. And it's about Paul. Paul had been arrested by a Jewish mob, and he was about to be beaten. And so I want us to begin reading in verse 24. Listen to what it says. The commander brought Paul inside, ordered him last with whips to make him confess his crime. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. When they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the officer standing there, Is it legal? For you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried. When the officer heard this, he went to the commander and asked, what are you doing? This man is a Roman citizen. So the commander went over and asked Paul, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I certainly am, Paul replied. As we read that passage, we discover that Paul took advantage of his Roman citizenship when he felt like it would help him in his calls to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, the Apostle Paul recognizes that ultimate joy, ultimate hope, and his ultimate loyalty was found in Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 20, this is what Paul says. He says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. You see, the Bible teaches us that the Apostle Paul recognized that he had dual citizenship. He was a citizen of Rome, and yet at the same time, he was a citizen of heaven. And for those of us who are Christ followers who live in America, we are called to be citizens of heaven and yet at the same time, we are citizens of America. And as such, we are seeking to bring the two together. After all, Jesus told us to do. When Jesus' disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. One of the things that, that Jesus said that they were to pray is this. Pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it's already being done in heaven. Jesus said that as his followers, we are to pray on a regular basis that God's kingdom would come to earth and rule and reign as it is already ruling and reigning in heaven. And so our prayer as followers of Jesus is that God's reign on earth will be the same as it is in heaven. And so what that means practically is this. You and I who are Christ followers should be living our lives each and every day so that the rule and reign of our Lord is taking place on earth, not just in our lives, but on earth as it is ultimately in heaven. So how do we do that? How do we flesh that out in a practical way? Well, what I want us to do is I want us to look at, at two Old Testament truths that I believe are 
or timeless truths, one New Testament truth, and then I want to give you five applications. First of all, the Old Testament truths. The first one is found in Psalm 33, verse 12. Listen to what the psalmist said. He said, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. Now listen, I know that that verse, that passage in Psalm 33 is talking about Israel. Two verses before is talking about the rest of the nations of the earth. And this is talking about God's special relationship, God's special favor on Israel. And how a nation that has God as their Lord, the creator God as their Lord, is a blessed nation. But yet I think that even though this passage is talking specifically about Israel, it is applicable to every nation at every time. You say, Rocky, why do you believe that? Well, the reason I believe that is because we interpret other passages of Scripture that way. When the Bible says things about Abraham, we don't say that just applied to Abraham. We say that speaks to us today. When, when God spoke to Daniel and gave him things to do, we don't say that that just spoke to Daniel. We say that applies to us today. When God spoke to the prophet Isaiah, when God spoke to King David, when God spoke to the apostles in the New Testament, we don't say that that was just for them. That doesn't apply to us today. No, we recognize that God uses their stories, God uses their history to teach us truths to live by. And the truth here is that the nation who has the one true God, the creator God, who reveals himself as Jesus, as the Lord of that nation, is a blessed nation. Now, who wouldn't want that? I mean, who wouldn't want their nation to be blessed? I would think every nation on earth would want God to bless their nation, right? I, I think that makes sense. I mean, that's why we sing, God bless America. That's why we sing America the Beautiful. God shed his grace on thee. That's why when we hear politicians pray, they seldom do, but when they do pray, oftentimes they'll end their prayer and God bless the United States. If they don't pray it, they say it. Why do they say that? Because even secular people have a tendency to want God to bless our nation. And I believe with all my heart, God has blessed our nation. You say, Rocky, why do you believe that? Well, I've had the privilege over my lifetime to travel all around the world. I've been in multiple countries in the Middle East. I've been in multiple countries in Central Asia and Southeast Asia. I've been in multiple countries in Europe, in South America and Latin America. I've been to Russia, I've been to China, and every time I get home, I do two things. One, I thank God that I live in America, and two, I thank God that I was born in America. Because I want you to hear me. If you've had the privilege and the opportunity to travel in other places and see other places, you will realize very quickly that God has blessed America. America is not perfect. We have done some horrible things in our past. But here's what you need to understand. Every nation has. Every nation 
every tribe. They've all done horrible things. And somehow, some way in the world scene today, we're focusing on America's past and the horrible things that America has done, and yet we neglect to mention all the horrible things that other countries around the world have lived and done. We haven't always lived by the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. The second paragraph, by the way, says this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We haven't always lived that out, fleshed that out perfectly. Sometimes in our past, we have failed miserably for some things. But I'm here to tell you, I think that we are doing a pretty good job of seeking to flesh that out compared to other nations of the world. When you compare the freedoms and the opportunities that we have in America with those of other countries, I'm just here to tell you, we are head and shoulders above the rest. When you have the opportunity to talk to Christians who live in other places, whether there are European countries, Middle Eastern countries, or whatever else, you will hear them say, God has blessed America. Just yesterday, I was reading the story about a young man who immigrated from Venezuela. In case you don't know, Venezuela was one of the richest, richest, wealthiest countries, certainly in Latin America, Central America, North America. It's actually one of the richest countries as far as natural resources in the world. And yet that country is falling apart because of socialism. And this young man, he immigrated from Venezuela to the United States because of the opportunities he felt he could have in the United States. He came here, he joined a company, and he moved up the ranks of that company, and now he holds one of the highest positions in that country, and he is still a young man, no older than his 30s. I don't know his political party, I don't know who he voted for, I don't even know if he is a Christian or not. But what I do know is that he was in a country that was falling apart. He saw opportunity in America. He came here and he took advantage of that opportunity. And this is what he said. He said, this is what motivates me today. I read this yesterday. This is what motivates me today. Helping immigrants believe in and live the American dream. Why do you, feel, why, why do you think? So many people want to come to America because it's a cesspool, because it's so horrible, because we're an awful place. No, people want to come here because there is something special about this land. God has blessed it. But the question is, why has God blessed it? I believe the reason God has blessed America is because of this verse. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now again, no nation is perfect. But you cannot read our history without understanding that the first settlers that came to our land, 
came for a purpose. The Mayfire Compact says that they came to America for the advancement of the gospel, the kingdom of God. The founders of our nation and the signers of our Declaration of Independence, though not all of them were Christians, some were deists, every one of them desired that we would create a form of government and have laws that were based on, founded upon biblical truth. And though there are many people that are trying to rewrite our history today, I'm here to tell you that you cannot rewrite that. If we want God to bless us, then we've got to understand blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Here's the second truth. It's found in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Solomon said, righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a disgrace to any people. Now, this is a proverb. A proverb is a saying, a principle. It's not an absolute truth. It's a principle that for the most part is true. This proverb is not speaking about Israel. This proverb is speaking to all nations. Righteousness exalts, lifts up a nation. But sin is a reproach, a disgrace to all people. So the question is, are we righteous or are we sinful? Well, we don't have time to, to go into detail, but I mean, if you wanted me to, I could spend days talking to you, making the case that we are sinful. But let me just give you a, a little historical timeline. In 1962, the Supreme Court outlined, outlawed, excuse me, prayer in public schools. The next year, it outlawed the public reading of the Bible in our public schools. That began to remove God from the hearts and minds of our children in the public arena. And it did have an effect. In 1973, we legalized abortion, and since that time, we have murdered 61 million babies we have always known that adultery and immorality was wrong but since the 60s it seems that we have begun to dignify adultery and magnify immorality the things that we once frowned upon we begin to condone in our movies and on tv and what about homosexuality i mean up until several decades ago Everyone knew that homosexuality was immoral and it was unnatural. But now what once was in a closet has come out on display on the front porch. And what about transgenderism? I mean, I'm not even sure how in the world that has come about. But, but now we have this idea that we can just kind of switch our genders because of whatever whim comes into our mind to the point... To the point that we have a transgender athlete representing the United States in the Olympics. To the point that we have a transgender woman who is representing the state of Nevada in the Miss USA pageant. That's the world in which we live. We have become a nation where the criminal is deified, the victim is vilified, evil is called good, good is called evil. We've become a nation where the life of a snail daughter is protected 
And the life of an unborn baby can be taken up until the ninth month of pregnancy. We're a nation that is marked by moral regression, sexual revolution, and spiritual rebellion. We have lost our ever-loving minds. And some of us, listen, some of us better wake up. In 1965, Billy Graham was, was writing his book, World of Flame. And he had just finished writing the chapter about the sin in America at that time, in 1965. And he asked his wife, Ruth Graham, to read the manuscript on that chapter. And she sat there and she read it with the solemn, somber look on her face. When she got through, she laid down the manuscript on his desk and she said, Billy, if God doesn't come soon and bring judgment upon America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. That was 1965. Think it was bad in 1965? My word. Look where we're at today. Understand, our downfall isn't going to come from North Korea or China or Russia or some Muslim extremists. No, we're killing ourselves from the inside out. We're going to fall, but we're going to be responsible for the fall. How can we stop it? Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. Blessed is a nation whose God, the creator God, who revealed himself as Jesus Christ, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord of that nation. And what about the New Testament truth? Well, it's found in several places, but I want to read it to you from Matthew 22. Jesus is talking and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to get him to say something where they could turn him into the Roman authorities, get him arrested. And so they asked Jesus about paying taxes. And, and this is what Jesus said in Matthew twenty two twenty one. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now understand, Rome was the ruler of the world at that day. And Rome was a harsh ruler. And Caesar was the emperor. He was the dictator. Many people saw him as God on earth. What he said went. And Caesar was an immoral, evil, wicked man. And Jesus said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. And give to God what is God's. Now, we don't have a Caesar today, but we have a government, and we have authorities, and, and in the same way, we give to those authorities what they have an honor, a right to, and we give to God what he has an honor, a right to. Now, here's the deal. We don't live with a dictator. We live in a democratic republic. What that means is that the emperor's rule isn't the final say. Because we live in a democratic republic, we have been blessed with that. We have rights. We have privileges. We have responsibilities. We can vote. We can vote for people. We can vote against people. 
We have the right to speak up against things we don't like. It's called free speech. We have the right to publicly protest peacefully if we don't like something. We have a right to write our leaders, our president, our vice president, our congressmen. We have a right to write them and tell them what we like and what we don't like. We have a right to run for office. We have a right to go to school board meetings. We have a right to do many things in America because we don't live in Rome. We live in America. And because we live in America, the way we flesh out our Christianity as a citizen is different than the way they had to flesh it out under Rome. So what should we do as Christians? First of all, we need to participate in the process. If you're a Christian and you're 18, you need to register and you need to vote. By the way, listen, if you're not a Christian and you're here today and you think that these Christian values and principles are absolutely crazy, you need to register and you need to vote. you got that responsibility as an American. Now, I hope you don't. <laughs> but you should because you've been given that right. You've been given that freedom. You have that opportunity. Vote. Speak up. Take a stand. Run for office. Get involved in the process. Why? Because we render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And in a democratic republic, if we don't get involved, then someone that we disagree with is going to get involved. So get involved in the process. Second, obey the law. Obey the law. Just obey the law. In Romans 13, it says, everyone must submit to the governing authorities, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. We don't obey the law just so that we won't go to jail. We obey the law because when we obey the law, we're doing what's right. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, for the Lord's sake, respect all human authority, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. The king has sent them. Obey the laws. Now listen, for the most part, the overwhelming majority of those in our nation who enforce the laws are good people. They may not be godly, they may not be Christian, but they're good people. They love our nation and they desire to do good. Are there some bad apples out there? Absolutely. And they need to be weeded out. We need to confront those things so that there can be liberty and justice for everyone. But for the most part, we obey the law. Back before Memorial Day, Sharon and I were heading to West Palm for my nephew's wedding. And we're going down 95 and Sherry was asleep. And I was listening to a podcast and I was just having a good old time riding down the road. Running down the road, you know, the Eagles song. And um, and wasn't paying attention to how fast I was going. Um, and all of a sudden, I, I saw some color. <laughs> and I looked in my rearview mirror, and there was a blue light. And I looked down, and I was going like 95 miles an hour. <laughs> and I thought to myself, this isn't good. I, Sherry was, she was over there snoring and doing not. I'm kidding. 
But she was sleeping good. I said, baby, you need to get up. I'm getting pulled. And, you know, as she does, she made a big deal. Of, what, what, what are you doing? I said, I was speeding. So we're going to pay the piper. And so pulled over. He said, what were you doing? I said, well, my car malfunctioned. The accelerator got called in there. I, no, I didn't say that. I said, I said, my wife was asleep. She wasn't there to nag me and tell me how fast I was going. I was listening to a podcast. And wasn't paying any attention to the speed until I saw your light behind me. And I looked down, I was going 90-something miles an hour. I mean, I was just honest with him. He said, well, thank you for being honest. Let me have your license and registration. So I gave it to him. I said, baby, this is going to be a good ticket. This is going to be a good one. And, and he came back, and honest to goodness, this normally doesn't happen to me. I mean, I get tickets for nothing. But he came to me, and he said, hey, you were honest. You didn't try to make excuses. I'm giving you a warning. I went, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I said, are you really my guardian angel? <laughs> but here's the point. We obey the laws. If we don't obey the laws, we pay the price. Sometimes we may get grace. Most of the time we won't. But we obey the laws. Here's the third thing. It's simple. Pay your taxes. Proverbs are almost 13, 6. Man, it's a hard verse. It says, pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. Now, let me just say to you, I don't like this verse. Don't. I don't like to pay taxes. And now that all of our kids are out of the house and everything, our taxes go up. I mean, it's, it's a good thing to have kids living in the house who are, I mean, those little mooches, they take your tax load down. And, and so our taxes are going up. And I'm thinking, man, I don't like paying these taxes, but I pay them. Every quarter when they're due, and that's how I have to pay them, I pay my taxes. And Sherry pays her taxes, and we don't like it, but we pay it because it's what we're supposed to do. And sometimes I complain because our taxes are so high. Hey, by the way, did you know in World War II, uh, the taxes were at 90%. Did you know that? I don't even know how they did that, but it, really, look it up. During World War II, the tax rate went up to 90%. I don't know how in the world they did that, but I'm thankful for our tax rate. If Congress raises our taxes, I'm not going to be happy, but I'm going to pay them. If Congress lowers our taxes, I'm going to write them letters and send them gifts in the mail. But I'm going to pay my taxes. Here's the fourth thing. Show respect to those in authority. Proverbs, Romans 13, give respect and honor to those who are in authority. 1 Peter 2, fear God respect the king listen you can disagree with the policies of people that are in office and you have every right to speak up and speak out on those policies I do but you never have a right to be disrespectful to people who are in authority back when President Obama was the president of our nation there were Christians who were saying all kind of rude and hateful things. And it was sin. Back when President Trump was president, there were other people who said all kind of rude and hateful things about him. And it was sin. And now that President Biden is president, there are all kind of people who are saying rude and hateful things about him. It's still sin. You're called to honor and respect those who are in authority. That's not negotiable. 
And here's the deal. I want you to listen to me. There are some of you that I've seen your social media posts. And it's one thing to speak out against the Equality Act and other things and say this doesn't make sense, it's immoral, it's anti you can do whatever you want to. But when you begin to call people names, our leaders, you have sinned. You're called to show respect to people even when you disagree with them. And here's the fifth thing, we pray. 1 Timothy 2 I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings. Now, did you get that? Ask God to help them, intercede for them, give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings. We don't have kings, but we have, we have presidents. We have representatives. We have senators. And what are we to do? We're to pray for them. Ask God to help them. We're to intercede for them. We're to give thanks for them. And then at the end, it says we're to pray for their salvation. We're to pray for them. Do you pray for your leader? I mean, do you really? I mean, back and I, I, for a long time, but I can vividly remember when President Obama was president, starting to pray. I mean, pray regularly and consistently for my leaders. President Trump was president. I did the same thing. President Biden is president right now, and I'm doing the same thing. Some. Days I miss a day praying for them, but regularly I am praying for our elected officials. I pray that God would guide them, God would bless them. I pray that God would give them wisdom. Pray that God would give them favor. Ask God to convict them where they are wrong. I pray that if they don't know Jesus, they'll come to know him. I'm going to pray for them. Now here's the thing. I want you to listen. This is important. I've been praying faithfully for our presidents for at least 8, 12, what, 13, 14 years, whatever. And I haven't seen one of my prayers answered yet. <laughs> I mean, I'm not talking about praying for an election. I'm just saying I haven't seen one of my prayers. Like, for instance, when President Trump was president, I'm just going to be honest with you. I agreed with 90% of his policies. I disagreed probably with 100% of his attitude, the way he treated people. He was abrasive. He was rude. And I don't know his heart, but he certainly has the symptoms of being a narcissist. And I prayed. I prayed because, let me tell you, I felt like, that his policies were good for America. But the way he presented them, the way he talked to people, man, it was going to take us down. And I pray God would change his heart. I pray God would humble him. I prayed that God would, one day I'd wake up and I'd hear a press conference on the news with him saying, I'm sorry for the way I've talked to people. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. I pray for God to save him. Well, trust me, I know he is a Presbyterian. You say, are you saying Presbyterians aren't saved? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, boy, Trump didn't act like he was saved. But by the way, neither does Biden. I prayed God would save him. And I want to be in heaven with him. I mean, why wouldn't I? 
Can you imagine what that would be like? That's what we're called to do. Get involved in the process. Pray. Obey the laws. Respect our leaders. We're called to do those things. Parataxis. Trying to leave that one out. And while we do those things, we're called to seek to bring our nation back to God because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And we seek to bring our nation back to righteousness because righteousness exalts a nation. And we may not see it. It may be too late. That's what some people say. But here's what I believe. As long as I'm alive, as long as I have breath to pray, I'm going to pray that God would do something amazing and that we will see America, listen, not turn back to God, but have a revival nationwide like we've never had before that impacts the world with the gospel. And who wouldn't want that? I mean, wouldn't every Christ follower want that? So I want you to pray that with me. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And with your head bowed, your eyes closed, I just want you to hear me. If you're here and you're not a Christian, that's the most important thing that you need to do today. You need to give your heart and life to Jesus. You're never going to find what you're looking for in this world. You're created for God. So you need to humble yourself. Acknowledge your sin. Trust what Jesus did on the cross. Give your life to him. Ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. And he will make you brand new. If you're a Christian and you're not living by biblical truth, there's sin in your life, you're not treating people with justice and love, then you need to ask God to forgive you. And you need to stop those things that are sinful and start doing things that are righteous. It's time for those of us who are followers of Jesus to live differently. And then third, if you're a Christ follower, get involved. Obey our laws. Pay your taxes. Honor those who respect them. And pray for them. And trust God to make a difference. Father God, 4th of July is... Lord, as a nation, we celebrate, Lord, our independence. We thank you, Lord, for the independence from sin that you give us on the cross. We thank you, Father, our dependence upon you is, is the foundation for our independence from sin. We thank you, Father, for your blessings on our nation. We ask you, Father, anew to forgive us for our sins seems like we always find new sins that want to bring us down father i pray i really pray that we as the church will be the church and lord regardless of whether our nation turns back or not i pray father that our church will be the church a righteous and holy people of God who are different. And I pray this, Father, in Jesus' name.